culture lovers. This is Jules, your host of the All Things Iceland podcast. Welcome to this week's episode, which features the history of the Icelandic government and the political setup in the country today. In previous episodes, I've mentioned the Althingi, which is the name of the Icelandic parliament. It was founded in 930 at Thingvetlir, which is now part of the Golden Circle and is one of the most historically important sites in the country. Eisen claims that the Althingi is the oldest surviving parliament in the world. Because of the history and unique geology in this area, Thingvetlir became a national park on the 1000th year anniversary of the Althingi in 1930. In 2004, the site was designated a UNESCO World Heritage Site. Because most of the settlers in Iceland during the 900s were Norwegian, their heritage greatly influenced the creation of their government. It seems that their main goal was to avoid a centralized authority or king, especially since that is what some of them were fleeing. Additionally, they wanted to integrate the Norwegian tradition of laws and legal assemblies, also known as a thing, and this resulted in Iceland forming a unique government. The gathering of parliament members in Iceland from 930 to 1800 was an open-air assembly on the plains of Thingvitlid. And as we all know, Icelandic weather can be quite intense, so it's probably a fascinating sight to see people gathering in an open-air assembly in what could be blowing winds and rain and hail even sometimes when it's supposed to be summer. While all the free men could attend the assemblies, it was Iceland's most powerful leaders, known as Godar, or chieftains, that decided on legislation and providing justice for any law-related claims brought before them. While legislation was top of mind during these assemblies, they were also the main social event of the year. Basically, it sounds like it was an awesome party mixed with some business. Farmers, craftsmen, travelers, storytellers, traders, and the families of many of these people attended. Temporary camps called Budir were set up in Thingvitlir for these assembly events. The Lögberg, which translates to Law Rock, was the center of the assembly gatherings. An interesting fact is that the exact location of this Law Rock is unknown today. You might be wondering, how is that possible? I mean, it's not as if a huge rock or area would just move. Well, in Iceland, those things are possible. And in reality, that happened. Some of you that have visited Thingvitlir or have heard about it on this show are aware that this is one of the areas in Iceland where the Eurasian and North American tectonic plates are slowly shifting apart by two centimeters each year. This area is known as a rift valley. Over more than 1,000 years of shifts in the geography have made it difficult to pinpoint exactly where the Law Rock was located. There are two possible locations, but this kind of remains a mystery until someone is able to prove it. The Lögsögumadur, or law speaker, had a seat on the Law Rock, and this person was the official of the assembly. The assemblies were called into order and dissolved at the Law Rock. The law speaker, 39 chieftains that had their own districts and nine other members made up the Lögreta, which was the legislative part of the assembly. Not surprisingly, this section of the Althinki was very powerful. They adopted new laws, dealt with legal conflicts, and granted exemptions to existing laws. 
Many of the Icelandic sagas include stories that have to do with disputes that were taken to the Althingi in order to be resolved. The Althingi of the past also had a judicial function that listened to legal disputes. As the parliament evolved, judges were appointed by the chieftains in the court of the legislature, or the Logreta, as I'd mentioned before. When the Althingi was formed, Iceland was set up as a commonwealth or a free state. In 1262, that came to an end because Icelanders submitted to the authority of Hakun IV, king of Norway. This happened under the terms of the Gamli Sautmaule, or Old Covenant. Like you, I wondered why would Icelanders give up their free state to be ruled by a monarch, especially since they had made such an effort to avoid having a monarch when they originally set up their government in 930. So I dug a little deeper to find out. Before signing of the covenant, there were civil disputes happening in the country. For about 44 years in the 13th century, a family called the Sturlungs were one of the powerful families causing wars and violent conflicts among chieftains. The main reason this was happening was because behind the scenes, the Norwegian king, of course, was trying to exert his influence through Icelandic family clans. The Sturlungs and Gissur Thorvaldsson were essentially agents of the Norwegian monarch and they were wreaking havoc on Icelandic society. This time period came to be known as the Age of the Sturlungs. The tales are so epic that a saga called the Sturlunga Saga was written. The end of this treacherous era happened when the Old Covenant was signed. Iceland thus became unified with Norway. Well, essentially ruled by Norway. Under the Old Covenant, Godars no longer ruled the country and all the executive power was shifted over to the monarch. However, the Lögrétta, or Court of Legislature, continued to function and it shared legislative power with the king. Any laws that were adopted had to be approved by the monarch. If the monarch decided to initiate legislation, the Lögrétta had to approve it. Two legal administrators called Lögmen replaced the law speaker. Under this new setup, Icelanders had to pay taxes to the monarch. In return, they received a code of laws, transportation, shipping between Iceland and Norway, as well as peace. Which is bittersweet to get peace, especially since Icelandic people had to endure over 40 years of civil wars and violence before they essentially surrendered. Additionally, Norwegians and Icelanders received equal rights in each other's countries. Another positive aspect to this union is that it strengthened the trading between the two countries and the settlement of Iceland expanded. This union eventually led to Iceland and Norway being united with Denmark towards the end of the 14th century. The reason for this is that the death of Olav IV of Norway meant that the male royal line had ended. Norway then became part of the Kalmar Union with Sweden and Denmark. Because Denmark had the dominant power, Iceland lost all of its autonomy to the Danish crown, including the legislation powers it had when it united with Norway. The most unfortunate part of this change was that Denmark didn't need Iceland's homespun wool or fish, which caused a huge deficient Icelandic trading. Sadly, Iceland became one of the poorest countries in Europe at the time. The Althingi was reduced to only acting as a court of law until 1800. That same year, a royal decree dissolved the Althingi and a new high court was created in Reykjavik. 
That high court took over the function of the former Lögrätta. It was the predecessor to the Supreme Court in Iceland, which would later be established in 1920. While it seemed that the Althingi was gone forever, like a phoenix, it rose from the ashes. 43 years after it had been dissolved, another royal decree was handed down to establish a new Althingi in 1843. After elections were held in 1844, the 26 members met on the 1st of July, 1845. 20 of the electoral districts had elected one member each, and the remaining six were royally nominated members that the king had selected. A session of the Icelandic parliament lasted four weeks, but if necessary, it could be extended. Unfortunately, the group was not more than a consultative body for the Danish monarch. Some of their tasks were looking over proposed legislation. Any proposals that were adopted were called petitions. Even with these restrictions, though, the new Althingi made improvement to legislation in the country. In the 19th century, there was a fascinating shift that started to happen. Many Icelanders that had been educated in Denmark came back to their home island and sparked an independence movement. The demand for more civil rights was also spreading in mainland Europe. While the Danish tried to pass legislation that basically ignored requests by Icelandic people, the King of Denmark was eventually forced to meet the demands of the nationalists and liberals in the country. At the National Assembly in 1851, the absolute monarch was repealed and a constitutional monarchy was established. Iceland was granted six seats in the Danish parliament. The Danes put forth a bill that would have made the Danish constitution from 1849 valid in Iceland. This meant that the elected Danish parliament would take over the most important issues. The Icelanders were not happy about this. While Iceland had been under Danish rule, Icelandic people had pretty much been ruling themselves when it came to domestic matters. Now, all matters would fall under the parliament in Denmark. Jón Sigurðsson, the leader of the Icelandic independence movement, and the other Icelandic members that were present at this assembly protested against this bill. The issue of Iceland's constitution would remain unresolved for decades following this event. 1874 was the millennial anniversary of the settlement of Iceland, and major festivities were held. The Danish king at the time, Christian IX, attended the celebrations. During his visit, he granted Iceland its own constitution. That constitution is what the current constitution in the country is based on today. Under the constitution, the Althingi had joint legislative power with the monarch regarding Icelandic matters. Additionally, Iceland's national treasury took over taxation and financial allocation. The king still had the right to veto, and he used it quite often. The Althingi members increased to 36. While six were still appointed by the crown, the other 30 were elected in general elections. Eight were elected from single-member districts, and 22 were elected from 11 double-member districts. The parliament was also divided into an upper chamber, Evridelt, and a lower chamber, Nidridelt. The upper chamber consisted of six elected officials, and the other six members were appointed by the crown. The remaining elected members sat in the lower chamber. The highest representative of the government at the time in Iceland was the general governor, or Landshövthingi. Between 1880 and 1881, the Parliament House at Oystervötlur in Reykjavik, which is downtown, was built. That same building, which many people walk by, whether they're visiting or they live here, is where the Althingi still meets today. On the 1st of December in 1918, Iceland became a state in personal union with the Danish king. 
This agreement was called the Icelandic-Danish Act of Union. After 25 years, the agreement would expire and either state had the choice to leave the union at that time. Under this act, unrestricted legislative power was granted to the Althingi. Over time, the number of the members of the Althingi increased to 52. World War II was an interesting time for most other countries in the world because they were in turmoil, but it actually ended up marking a time for major change in Iceland, major positive change. Due to Denmark being occupied by Germany in 1940, the Icelandic-Danish Act of Union was no longer in effect. The day after the occupation happened, the Althingi passed two resolutions. One was that the Icelandic cabinet now had the power of the head of the state. The other was that Iceland accepted full responsibility for coastal surveillance and foreign policy. On June 17, 1944, the Republic of Iceland was established. In the decades following 1944, many changes happened. The number of members was increased to 63 in the Althingi, and the system of electoral districts was drastically changed. The voting age was lowered to 20 years old in 1969, but in 1984, it was lowered even further to 18 years of age. Another major change is that the assembly now only had one chamber, which is known as a unicameral legislature, and it had 12 standing committees. That change was introduced in May 1991. Today, the Icelandic government is a constitutional republic with a multi-party system. Most people know that Iceland has a president, but what they might not know is that the position makes that person the head of state. While the president does have legislative power, it is shared with parliament, who exercises executive power. Parliament is led by the prime minister. The judiciary is independent of the legislature and the executive. Anyone that is eligible to vote in Iceland can run for a seat in parliament. The only exemptions are the president and the judges of the Supreme Court. While the president is determined by popular vote every four years, the legislature are elected by proportional representation every four years. It is also worth noting that the president doesn't have term limits. So if people really love the president in this country and the president wants to keep on being in that position they can essentially be in it until they die. The president formally appoints the prime minister, and after the election, a leader of the political party is given authority by the president to form a cabinet, which is made up of different party members. Even though Iceland has a multi-party system, it is set up so that no one party can gain power alone. The parties must work with each other to form coalition governments. The cabinet of ministers stays in power until the next election in four years or if a new government is formed. It has happened that new governments were formed before the four-year term was up, especially following the economic meltdown in 2008. But I'm not going to go into that because there's so much more information to share regarding that time period that I think it deserves its own podcast episode. There are currently eight political parties that are represented in the Althingi. And I thought it would be helpful to go over who they are and just a little bit of factual information about what happened during the last election, just so you have an idea of how the power is placed in the political system of Iceland as of today. So the Independence Party, which received 49,543 votes, has 25.2% of representation in parliament, which is 16 seats. 
In Icelandic, the independence party is called Sjálfstæðisflokkurinn. It is a liberal conservative. They are the largest party, as I mentioned, in the Althinki. They are not fans of joining the European Union and any type of European integration. The left green movement received 33,155 votes in the last election, which is 16.9%, and they have 11 seats in the Althinki. In Icelandic, the left green party is called Venstri Hreyvinkin Grænt Framboth, or it can be abbreviated Venstri Græn. And it is an eco-socialist political party. The Social Democratic Alliance received 23,652 votes, which is 12.1%, and they have seven seats in the Althinki. In Icelandic, that is Samfylkingin Japnarvar Manaflokkur Island, which literally is the alliance, Iceland's Social Democratic Party, and I think that pretty much speaks for itself in terms of what they're about. Next is the Center Party, which received 21,335 votes, or 10.9%. And they have seven seats as well in the Althinki. In Icelandic, Center Party is Mithflokkurinn, and it's the self-proclaimed centrist populist political party. Next up is the Progressive Party, which received 21,016 votes, or 10.7%, and they have eight seats. In Icelandic, the Progressive Party is called Framsoknarflokkurinn. It is a center-right populist and agrarian political party in Iceland. Agrarianism basically values rural society as being superior to urban society, and the independent farmer as being superior to the paid worker. They essentially see farming as a way of life that can help shape the ideal social values. In their minds, the simple rural life is superior to the complex city life. Next is the Pirate Party, which received 18,051 votes, or 9.2%. And they have six seats in the Althinki. The Pirate Party is a lot easier to say than the other ones. It's Piratar. And the party's platform is based on pirate politics and direct democracy. The second to last party is the People's Party, which received 13,502 votes, or 6.9%. And they have four seats in the Althinki. In Icelandic, the People's Party is Flokkur Folksens, which was founded by Inga Sæland. Its main focus is to have better conditions for the poor and disabled. The last party that has seats in the Althinki is the Reform Party, and they received 13,122 votes, or 6.7%, and they have four seats. In Icelandic, the Reform Party is called Vithresen. It is a liberal political party, That was founded on May 24, 2016, but had existed as a political network since June 2014. Originally, it was with the Independence Party, but it split, and that was mainly over the fact that they didn't agree when it came to a decision to not hold a referendum on joining the European Union and the lack of support for free trade. While there is a lot more to talk about regarding the Icelandic government, including the scandals, I will leave that for another episode. However, I think this is a great primer and pretty thorough background of the history of the Icelandic government and political landscape. So I'll just move on now to the random fact of the episode. I have two random facts for you. 
The current prime minister is Katrin Jakobsdottir. She is the second female prime minister in Icelandic history. The first was Johanna Sigurdardottir. Additionally, she was the first openly lesbian head of government in the world. Another first for Iceland in government is Vigdís Finnbogadóttir, who I had the pleasure of meeting last year, was the first elected female president in the world. The Icelandic word of the episode is Stjórnarskrau, Stjórnarskrau, which means constitution. Now I'll say that slowly, starting with the beginning. Stjórnarskrau. If you break the word down, stjort means government. Granted, stjort can mean other things, but in this case it means government. And skrau, among other things, can mean record. So government record or constitution. I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of All Things Iceland. If you're new to listening to the show, I upload a new episode every week. So please subscribe so you don't miss new episodes. If you want to connect with me, see when new episodes are published, or you want to check out my adventures in Iceland, you can check out the links in the show notes for this episode. I'm active on YouTube, which is becoming more of an active channel for me. Instagram, which I'm way more active, and Facebook. Thank you.